The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Lord, today we, we want to be in awe. Lord, sometimes there's a difference between what my head tells me ought to be and what my heart tells me what is. And so, Lord, today I pray that not only our heads would tell us that we ought to be in awe of you, O great King, but that our hearts would truly receive an overwhelming filling of your Spirit so that today we would stand in great awe of your goodness and your grace and your salvation towards us. Jesus, be exalted in our lives, in this place, in this community, and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, good morning again. Happy uh, Father's Day to you. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and open them up to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend uh, our time. It's going to be our text today. Today we're going to close out our uh, sermon series in Jonah. And uh, yeah, we are going to Matthew and we're talking about Jonah. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, some of you, when you hear that we're going to wrap up Jonah, you're thinking, oh man, I'm rejoicing. This is, this is great news for me. And, and some of you are probably a little bit sad that we're ending that. All right. And uh, so uh, how many of you guys have just really enjoyed this, this Jonah sermon series? I mean, it's been seven weeks and I know that it's probably, uh, I, maybe enjoyed is the wrong word. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe encouraged, maybe uh, challenged is probably a better word for us, but uh, I don't know about you, but as I've been reading through Jonah and preparing to speak on it, it's really uh, been convicting my heart. If you're just now joining us, I would just want to welcome you uh, to LifePoint. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm the lead teaching pastor here, and uh, if you didn't know, we have been going through the book of Jonah. If you want to get some of those messages in the past, you can just go on our website, the LifePoint Connection, and grab those. But let me just fill you in a little bit about where we've been, okay? Uh, so in Jonah chapter 1, uh, Jonah is a, is a prophet of God who's basically a rebel. Any rebels in the house? All right. Yeah, all right. Admittedly, a few of you will obviously acknowledge that. And so Jonah is a rebel. God tells Jonah, he says, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he says, he actually uses these words, I want you to call out against it. And if you didn't know, Nineveh is actually Jonah's enemy. Uh, because Nineveh is a murderous people. They're a hateful people, uh, particularly toward uh, Jonah and his people. And so he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them to repent. All right? And Jonah does the obvious response, which is not go, go the other way because we don't like conflict. And so he runs the other way, and he gets on a boat, and he goes the other way, and the sailors throw him overboard because of this huge storm. And so finally, uh, he gets swallowed by a giant fish, which is awesome, right? It says that in Jonah that when they threw him overboard and the winds and the rain stopped, that it kind of freaked him out, right? But it said that it even freaked him out even more when the fish came and swallowed him. I mean, it was a miracle. And so here it is. Jonah's in the belly of the fish. God won't relent. God gets what he wants. And he finds himself in the middle of Nineveh, finally. He's walking through the city. He stops and he tells the people what God told him to say. And it was only eight words. He said, he said, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Puts down the mic and walks out. And, and what happens at that eight-word message? Do you remember? The whole city repented. The whole city. It says that there's 120,000 people, and it even mentions the cattle, like the cattle are crying out to God. It says that the whole city, 120,000 of them, were repenting and calling out to God, and they would fast. And it says that they put on sackcloth, which is, a, which, is a, which is a symbol of humility and brokenness and repentance. It says that they covered themselves in ashes to show that they were mourning 
over their sin. 120,000 people repented. And that they, they all know that they, they're asking God to relent from their destruction. And, and so two weeks ago, we actually went over that, that text in that chapter. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we too, as a church body and as individuals, we began to put on our own repentance, symbolizing the cross in the back covered in sackcloth, that we all had something that we needed to repent of, that we just put on ourselves and closed ourselves in humility and said, God, we need your grace and we need your mercy. You maybe remember that. But while the city of Nineveh was repenting, what was Jonah doing? I mean, he walks out, of, he preaches his message, eight words, right? Puts the mic down, walks out of the city carefully, hoping that he wouldn't get killed, right? And he sits outside the city, looking at the city, having this good old pity party. And he's watching God save the most wicked of sinners, the most evil people, he's watching God's mercy and his grace and his hand upon the people of Nineveh, and he's saving them. What, what we need to see is both, both the religious and the wicked, both the prophet of Jonah and the city of Nineveh are in great need of God's grace. And so I don't know if you grew up in church. I don't know if you grew up religious. I don't know if you're a prophet of God or you're more like Nineveh. You're just wicked to the core, Right? We are in need of God's grace. And as you look into the book, we really begin to see that Jonah is Nineveh. I mean, he's there and he's, he's upset that God's saving them. Today, we're going to look at what's the most significant and the most important and the most relevant message out of this book. It's so important that Jesus even said that if you miss this message out of the book of Jonah, there's really no hope for you. He says, this message is so important, this message behind Jonah, it's more significant than if Jesus showed up right here today before you and worked a miracle. He says, it's more powerful than that. It's more significant than that. It's more powerful than if Jesus did a miracle with your, in front of your own eyes. And we're going to see that in Matthew chapter 12. So you should be there by now, Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to pick it up in verse 38. Verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, everyone say scribes and Pharisees. Come on, you can say it better than that. Say scribes and Pharisees. That's it. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered Jesus saying, Teacher, we wish to see what? A sign from you. We want to see a sign. And so, so scribes and Pharisees are the most religious people of the day. I mean, they've got the fat, fat Bibles, right? Anyone have a fat Bible in here? Just hold it up, all right? There you go. Okay, a couple scribes, a couple Pharisees, right? Just kidding, Ben. I'm just kidding. You got the fattest Bible in the room, Right? These are the guys that are dressed in robes and look all religious and are really pretty on the outside. And so these religious guys, they come to Jesus and they say, hey, show us a miracle. Hey, show us a sign. Hey, give us some evidence. You say you're God in the flesh. You say you're the son of God. Prove it. Come on. Show us something. Give us something. Show us some type of sign. Now, now let me just make it very clear here for some of you. The Bible invites genuine seekers to seek him. Jesus always invites genuine people that are longing to know him. And so, listen, if you've got a question or if you've got doubts or you've got maybe some, some barriers in front of you that are somehow keeping you from, from really trusting Jesus, listen, listen, listen. Jesus is not condemning you. He's inviting you. Come, see. Remember what he says to Doubting Thomas. He's like, just look at my hands. Look at my side. It, it really is me. I really am who I say I am. But, but listen, these guys, the, the, their unbelief doesn't come from a lack of evidence. 
The scribes and the Pharisees, their unbelief is so rooted in their their religious status that's so rooted in themselves. The scribes and Pharisees, they don't ask God to show them a sign uh, because they, they, they want to believe. They ask out of a stubborn, hardened heart. They're like, come on, boy, show us a sign. Isn't, isn't this the, the son of Joseph? Isn't it the, the, the guy who just uh, was always around the neighborhood and now he's saying he's the son of God? Come on, why don't you do something? Their unbelief doesn't come from a lack of evidence. It comes from the fact that they just don't want it to be true. It's a hard heart. Maybe some of you sitting here, maybe, maybe you know somebody that don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Maybe you're here and you just... Just say, man, I don't believe it. Let me tell you something real honestly. It's not because of lack of evidence. These guys, they don't not believe because of their lack of evidence. They don't believe because they're hard heart toward the truth. And if you were honest, they, they don't want to believe it. Because listen, if Jesus really is who he says he is, then that means we've got to respond. We've got to either reject it or accept it that he is the son of God. And listen, we don't want to do that. And so we just harden our hearts toward the truth. It's not because there's not enough evidence. It's just because we don't want to believe it. And these guys, they're so steeped in religion, so steeped in their works and their behaviors that they just don't want to believe it. But he answered them. Look in verse 39. Scribes and Pharisees, show us a sign, Jesus. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. An evil and adulterous generation, they seek a sign. But Jesus says, no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is like, how hard are your hearts? How wicked are your thoughts? Jonah, he showed up and he preached an eight-word sermon to the most wicked fools on the planet And because they repented, they're going to rise up against this generation and condemn you. Let me ask you, who's he talking to? Scribes and Pharisees. Say it with me. Scribes and Pharisees. The big Bible fools, right? They've got the robes, the religious guys, the guys who think they've got it all together. He says, the wickedness of Nineveh is actually going to rise up and condemn you. That's tough. Is that not tough? I mean, I'm thinking, oh, man. And they're, they're like, but look at me. I cleaned the outside of this cup, right? I've whitewashed this tomb. It looks good. He says, actually, the people of Nineveh are going to condemn you. He's talking to church guys, the religious guys, the guys who have the Torah memorized, The guys who do sacrifices in the temple, the guys who fast all the time, the guys who give dill and mint and little spices so that they would not not be in the wrong, the guys who would not work on the Sabbath and condemn anyone who does. He says, actually, the most wicked, they'll rise up and condemn you. And Jesus says, And you have someone greater than Jonah right before you. Jonah shows up. He preaches an eight-word message, walks out, 
has a pity party, and the entire city, 120,000 people, repent. You're standing here before me, the Son of God, and you're seeing the signs, you're seeing the miracles, you're seeing my works, you're watching my ministry, and you're not repenting. I don't understand how hard are your hearts. Let me ask you a question. Do you take your salvation seriously? I mean, do you? Do you take your salvation seriously? Or you just kind of do some religious actions or some religious duties? I mean, do you ever think about eternity and the salvation of your souls? Do you ever think about where you're at before God? Do you ever think about that? Jesus says that there's a difference between the false sense of salvation that the Pharisees have and the genuine salvation of the people of Nineveh. Do you ever think about if your salvation is genuine? What's it based on? Is it based on your behavior? Or humility and repentance? I hope you think about your salvation often. Eric, how do you know? that Nineveh's really saved. How do you know that these Pharisees that he's talking to aren't? Don't judge me. Well, one, Jesus says. Jesus says they're genuinely saved. Jesus says that they are. Listen, it's not your religious behavior, and it's not your good deeds that will condemn you. It's your lack of repentance. And repentance always follows faith in Jesus. And faith through grace is salvation. And so so true salvation comes from God. True faith comes from God. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast. And when God brings true salvation, repentance always follows Jesus says that repentance must take place. He says it's actually the sign. It's the thing that's going to condemn you. See, see, they repented, and you're standing here before the Son of God looking at me, and you're not repenting. That's what Jesus says to them. So repentance must take place. It is the sign. Jonah, he shows up, and his eight-word message is this. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh, will be overthrown. The Bible many times uses this word, this this number 40, uh, as a symbol of judgment. And so if you think of uh, the rains that fell in the days of Noah, 40 days, judgment. Jesus went to the wilderness, was tempted, fasted for 40 days. He was tempted in all of those things. Everything that you're tempted with, he's tempted with. And so typically in the Bible, 40 days is a symbol of judgment. Basically, hey, judgment's coming. You got 40 days. That's what Jonah says. Basically, it's a warning sign. A lot of times when we think of sin, we think of morality. We think of uh, devious behaviors that uh, somehow hurts others. And so um, we think that sin is not a big deal unless it actually hurts somebody else. You may not say it out loud, but in your own sin, you're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Not hurting anybody. So what if I cheat? So what if I uh, look lustfully? So what if I have a hard heart? So what if I lie? So what if I steal? So what if I do all of those things on my taxes? So what if I'm mean? So what if, if uh, I say a bad word? So, I mean, so what? It doesn't really hurt anybody. So what if I'm not honest? So what if I don't follow through with what God tells me to do? When he says, love your neighbor and go make disciples and honor me with your hearts and your lips and all of your life. So, so, so what? What's the big deal? What we don't realize is the most destructive aspect of your sin is not its effect on others, but actually it's a belittlement towards God. God, you're not even that valuable that I would even obey you. You're even not that, you're not, I can't even trust you enough, so I don't even want to follow your ways. 
See, every sin is really not just simply hurting others, but it's a belittlement towards God. Every sin, that's the big deal. The big deal is that it's offensive against God. And typically, typically our sin stems from two different roots. Number one is pride. The second is idolatry. And we've talked a lot about these in the series, haven't we? I mean, pride is that, is that I know better how to run my life. That's pride. I'm the man, right? And God exists to bless the man because I'm the man. And so I know how to run my life. I know what I want. I know what's going to get me through. I know how to do this. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need to listen to God. That's pride. And idolatry is my interests, my wants. I'm so important. I'm actually more important than God. And I'm going to do what I want rather than what he wants. Listen, sin exists because worship of God doesn't. We just deny him. John Calvin, he says, our hearts are like idol factories. You ever heard that? It's like our hearts, they're like, there's like this, these cogs and these wheels and these things, and they're producing something, and it's an idol, right? Factories, we make idols out of our hearts, our idol factories, and, and the biggest idols that we conjure up in our own lives is ourselves, it's elevating ourselves. It's exalting ourselves. It's being more highly than you are. It's, it's what, we, what we fail to realize is that God created us so that our greatest joy would be found when we are in a right relationship with God. What you fail to realize is that God created you in such a way that your greatest joy would be found in a right relationship with him. That your greatest joy, your greatest pleasure, your, your greatest happiness, your greatest you would be found in a right relationship with God. And some of you are like, well, why can't God just mind his own business? Huh? I mean, why can't God just... just Mind his own business, leave me alone, let me do my own thing. Why does God got to butt his nose into what I want? And why, why does he always think that, that I need him? Listen, he's, he comes after you because he loves you. He absolutely loves you. You know what we are? We're, we're like dumb fish wanting to jump out of the fish tank. Imagine that for a second. Imagine. Imagine a fish that rebels against the water. I don't want to live this way. It's all wet. <laughs> Getting in my mouth. I mean, oh, it's going through my gills. I, I hate this water. Imagine a fish that rebels against the water. And the fish, he basically says, you know what? I want to do my own thing. I don't want to do this thing anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. And so we, we jump, he jumps out of the tank. That's us. Rebelling against God. I want to do my own thing. You mind your own business. I'm, and we jump out of the tank and we're flopping. That's what happened. We can't breathe, right? We're not. Oh, no, this is good. I'm good. You ever seen a fish on the water? It's like, <laughs> we're gasping for air. And sometimes, sometimes God, he, he like leaves us there for a moment. It's not working out for you then. <laughs> oh, guy. Calm down. It's his grace and his mercy he doesn't give up on you. It's his grace and his mercy that he doesn't just mind his own business and just leave you flopping, gasping. Some of you guys, you're, you're really smart. 
you're really successful, you've experienced, man, I don't know, a, a lot of the temporary pleasures that come from this world. But you're sitting here and you're wondering why it's so fleeting. Why it's so overwhelming to try and keep up. And you're exhausted. And you're trying to muster some strength to endure. And you're searching for, for some strength to somehow just keep you going. And, and, and you're looking. You're looking for anything. Some, some type of strength. Some type of hope. I mean, if I could just have hope for my kids. And you know what? Maybe hope for my kids is found in more education or more knowledge or more sports. And maybe, maybe if they just get good enough, then they can find some, some, some real life. And you're searching for strength and you're searching for hope and you're wanting anything that will somehow get it to you and you're struggling to find your purpose for life. And it's exhausting. It's because you're like a fish trying to swim on the beach and find joy in the sand rather than swimming in the water. You're like a fish trying to swim on the sand rather than water, which, which is what God content created you, designed you to swim in. And you're just rebelling. I, just mind your own business. I like the sand. Are you exhausted yet? Are you there yet? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the sand's got shells on it. It's nice. Oh, look at the sand. It's sunny. It's hot. You get a nice tan. It's the loving kindness of God that brings you back under the water of his grace that brings you to repentance because it's in him that you begin to find great joy. It's in him that you begin to find great Salvation. It's in him that you find the pleasures that's worth living. It's in him that sets you the most free. He's not trying to just contain you in the tank. He's trying to free you so you can live. This is how I created you to live. And some of you, you just say, man, I just want God to leave me alone. I just want to be my own man. I just want to be my own woman. I just want to be myself. I want to be free. Listen, no, you don't. You don't. You don't want that. You don't need that because God made you for himself. And his love is him bringing you to himself so that you can be free, so that you can live, so that you can swim. Jonah's message is really one of judgment, but Jesus' message is one of freedom. I want to set you free. See, Jonah shows up. And he says, in 40 days, judgment is coming. Hebrews 9, 27. It says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then after that, judgment. Super popular text. It's on coffee cups everywhere. I dare you to make a t-shirt out of that. You and I will, will eventually face judgment. You see, for Nineveh, you know it's 40 days. He gives them 40 days. It's coming. For us, we, we don't know. I'm going to withhold from the Mack truck stories, but it, it is coming. Do you ever think about your salvation? You ever think about it? I mean, do you ever think about eternity? I know, I know, I know. We're, we're a young church. Some of you feel young. Some of you feel strong. Some of you feel vibrant. Some of you feel immortal. Man, death, man, that's so far down the road. I don't even want to think about it. Listen, my kids are 10 and 12. And I do everything I can, as often as I can, to get them thinking about eternity. Because it's what matters, doesn't it? 
I want them to know that there's an eternity with God waiting for them, that they will see him face to face, that there is more joy in knowing God than anything of this world. I want them to know their salvation. I want them to know eternity. I want them to know because in light of forever, present struggles and present joys are not worthy to compare to the glory that awaits us. So whatever you're going through, ain't nothing compared to the glory. The joy that you have, ain't nothing compared to the joy and the glory that awaits us. I dare you to think about eternity often. Think about your salvation often. Jesus, he, he asks a very penetrating question in Mark chapter 8 and Matthew 16. I think I got Matthew 16 up here, but their they're, they're complementary text is the same text, basically. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Have you ever thought about that? What, what would it profit you to gain the whole world yet forfeit eternal life? What would it profit you? He says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give? I mean, you don't even have to be religious to see that logic. He says, what does it profit a man? He says, what good is it? What benefit does gaining the whole world offer you? Is there anything of real value that you would actually gain here? I mean, what's the most valuable thing that you want, that you want to gain here? What would you exchange for eternal life? You know what? If I could have this, I would trade eternal life for that. That's what I want. Think about it. What is it? What would you exchange? Anything? What would you exchange for eternal joy, eternal pleasure, eternal life with the creator? God who loves you unconditionally, what would you exchange for that relationship? You know what we do? Is we love the things of this world and we exchange it, we trade it. It says we, we forfeit it. For what? What in the world is better than eternal life with God? What's better than that? A million bucks? A fancy car? A super successful status? Some of you, you're so focused on life here and now that we are oblivious to eternity. You're oblivious to it. You know, I've realized that I can get so fixed on joys and sorrows that I lose or miss out on the joy of my salvation. Listen, not that I'm missing out on salvation. I, I miss the joy of my salvation because I'm so fixed on the joys of this world. I'm so fixed on the sufferings of this world. I'm so fixed on the things here and now that I miss out on the joy of my salvation. See, see, listen, you, you can get so fixed on, on, on what's joyful, what's coming up this week, what excites you this week. You know, oh, man, uh, man, uh, I just uh, graduated high school, or I got an A on the test. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's a joy. And, oh, I just got my driver's license. It's so good. Oh, the life is good, isn't it? Amen. Oh, life is good. I got this thing. I got that new job. I got that scholarship I wanted. I made the team. High five, right? We're so fixed on these things. And you're like, oh, I graduated. And I met the one, the one that finally is going to fulfill me like a unicorn. And then I'm like, I love it. And then I got this thing and then I got the job and then I got my first paycheck. It's so good. And then you know what happened is we had a kid. Oh, the joys of life are so overwhelming. I can't wait till he starts walking and he starts walking and we're so filled with the joy. And then they start school. They get on the bus for the first time. Oh, this is so joyful. And then he graduates high school. You see him get a diploma, him get a degree, him get a job, him get a wife, him have a kid. Now you got grandkids. Oh, the joys are never ending. And we're so fixed on the joys of the temporary. 
Oh, or, or the sufferings. I didn't graduate. I, I didn't get my license. I, I didn't get the thing. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a girlfriend. I didn't graduate college. I didn't get the job. I lost my job. I didn't get the check that I wanted. I didn't get the bonus that I was longing for. Uh, my kids don't walk. I couldn't have kids. I couldn't get married. I couldn't see grandkids. My mom died. My dad died. And so you're so fixed on either joys or sufferings or both because you're living in the temporary here and now. And you miss out on the joys of forever. The eternity, the eternity that God says awaits you. Do you ever think about your salvation? Or do you just think about the joys of tomorrow or the sufferings that are coming tomorrow? Do you ever think about it? Think about it. What do you set your mind on? Listen. As a repentant believer of Jesus Christ, both your sufferings and your joys are temporary. All of it. God told Nineveh 40 days. And they believed God and they repented. But Jesus' message is greater than Jonah's. Jesus says something greater is here. Jonah, he was like a kid obeying his parents. He did it, but he still had that defiant spirit. Anybody know kids like that? Buddy, I want you to go clean the bathroom. Go clean it. Okay, clean the bathroom. Hey, can you take out the trash? Yeah, I'll go take out the trash. Hey, will you go to Nineveh? No. Fish comes, gets you, puts you out. Okay. <laughs> Going to Nineveh. Right, he did it, but he had this, this defiant spirit. And he shows up and he says, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. <laughs> happy? You ever experienced that? Are your kids do that? Are you happy now? Listen, that was his message. Judgment. He didn't tell him about God's compassion. He didn't tell him about God's love. He didn't tell him about God's grace. He didn't tell him about God's forgiveness. He didn't tell him about how God is slow to anger and, and wants a relationship with them. He just does it defiantly and everyone repents. It's amazing. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Well, it says in chapter 3, it says, it says they did it because they thought, well, maybe God will have mercy on me. Maybe God will relent from destroying me. Maybe, maybe God will not be angry at me anymore if I put on sackcloth and ashes and fast and call out to God. Maybe God won't destroy us. They're responding out of fear and they turn and they repent. Maybe we won't perish. That's Jonah's message. And that's how the people of Nineveh respond. But Jesus shows up, and in John chapter 6, verse 37, he says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Anyone who comes to me, I'll never cast out. John 3, 16, he says, whoever will believe in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Come to me, all of you who are Weary and laden and, and heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. John chapter 1, it says that all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave a right to become children of God. He says, come on. Believe in me. Trust in me. Come to me. Turn from your sin. Turn from your pride. Turn from your idolatry. Come here. I'll, I'll give you eternal life. 
He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. Anyone who comes to the Father comes through me. Come to me, he says. I'm the way. I can give you eternal life. I can give you life and life to the full, he says in 10.10 of John. Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. See, Jonah shows up and he preaches condemnation. Turn or you're going to die. Jesus says, come to me. There's no condemnation in you. None. Zero. Listen, Romans 10, it says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Nineveh, they only had a hope that maybe God would relent from disaster. But Jesus' message is greater. Jesus' message is greater because the hope for us, the message for us, is that Jesus took my place. That Jesus says, when you come to faith in me, I receive all the destruction that you deserve, and in turn, I give you eternal life. The message of Jesus is greater Because Jesus took my place, and he takes the place for all who would repent and believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him, in the waters of him, we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 3.18 It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus took my sin. Jesus absorbed my wrath. Jesus took my place. And not only that, listen, not only that, not only did Jesus absorb the wrath that I deserve, but he gives me his righteousness. Now that's a a phenomenal gospel, isn't it? Listen, it doesn't just stop that Jesus took my sin, but he gives me his promises. He gives me eternal life in him. Jesus, what what was mine became his, and what was his became mine. Think about that. Well, my punishment became his, my sin became him. And all of his promises and all of his eternity and all of his immortality, and all of his joy, and all of his love, they became mine. The promise of salvation is that Jesus, he paid it all. He paid it all. The offer of Christ's message and salvation is all my sin, all my shame, all my judgment became on him on the cross, and all of his privileges and all of his promises became mine. How do you know it's greater? It's a greater message than Jonah because it's sealed by the blood of Christ. It says you won't be destroyed if you come to me. Yeah, judgment, it is coming. But in me, there is no condemnation. In me, the judgment's been fulfilled. In me, the wrath of God has already been poured out for all who would believe. Jesus' message is greater than Jonah. Jesus' eternal promise of assurance is greater than the message of Jonah. And the one who brings the promises, the one who brings the message, is greater. Listen, Jonah hated Nineveh, but Jesus loved the people. Jonah only went because he had to. Jesus came because he wanted to. Jonah ran from his assignment. Jesus ran toward it. Jonah sat outside the city and hoped for Nineveh's destruction. Jesus stood outside of Jerusalem and wept and pleaded for her salvation. Jonah delivered the message of Nineveh in order to save his life. Jesus delivered the message knowing that it would cost him his life. Jonah was thrown overboard over the sea because of his own sin, and Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath because of our sin. Jonah was in darkness for three days because of his disobedience. Jesus was in darkness of death for three days because of our disobedience. Jonah was more upset about the death of a plant than he was the destruction of children. Jesus had so much joy that was set before him that he endured the cross in order to make rebels into sons. 
That's what he did. Jonah showed up with only announcement of condemnation. Jesus shows up bringing a message of reconciliation. John 3, 17 says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus doesn't come and condemn you. Why doesn't Jesus just mind his own business? He says, I'm not coming to condemn you. I'm coming to set you free and give you life. Just mind your own business. Jonah came with condemnation. He says, I'm going to bring new life to you. I want to close with an amazing parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn there, you can follow along. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Jesus, again, was surrounded by tax collectors and sinners and religious guys with big Bibles. And he tells a story, and he says, there is a man who had two sons, an older son and a younger son. He has a very religious, righteous son and a very rebellious son. And one of the sons came to his father and said, hey, why don't you split your inheritance and give me my portion now? And so the father, he gives him his portion of his inheritance, and the younger son turns and he walks away from his father. Says that he goes and he squanders it. He squanders it for things of this world, things that he longs for, things that he wants only to find out that it's all temporary and it runs out. It says there was a famine on the land. He lost it all. And it said that he hired himself out to a pig farmer who would just feed the pigs. And he says he was there and he was so hungry and he was so broke and he was so lost that he, he longed to eat what the pigs ate. Can you imagine the lowest of lows saying, man, I wish I could eat what those pigs are eating? And then... Somehow, God in his grace, he kind of wakes him up. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back home. I'll tell my father that I'm not worthy. And I'll go home and I'll sin against heaven and against him. And, and I'll, I'll go back. Because even, even the servants in my father's house don't, don't feel like I feel. Aren't as low as I am. I'll just, I'll just be a servant for him. And it says that he ran home. And in verse 20, it says, while he was still a long way off, the father, he rose. His father saw him. And it says that he felt compassion on him. And the father, he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I am no longer to be called your son. Genuine brokenness, genuine repentance. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. He says, he says, the son, it's like he's saying, he's like, just go get the sackcloth and go get the ashes and make, them, make a, sh a shameful display out of me because I'm not even worthy. Just go get it. And the father, he said to his servants, bring the best robe. Not just any robe. I want the best robe. He says, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put the ring on his hand, the family ring with the family symbol. Put that on his hand and shoes on his feet. Listen to me. There's going to be days that you'll realize there's a difference between the way you feel and who you actually are. The son says, I don't feel worthy, I don't feel clean, I don't feel right. And the, son, and the father says, no, 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 you're my son. It doesn't matter how you feel, this is who you are. Can you get that? There's days that you'll feel 
Like you just are unworthy. And you'll fall before God and he will put his robe around you. He will stand you up. He'll put shoes on your feet. He says, I don't care what you're feeling right now. I want to remind you who you are. You are my son and there's nothing that will separate you from my love. All of the squandering, all of the running, all of the things that you've stolen and done for me, I'm bringing you home. He says, he says all of it, put it on his hand, put it on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead, but he was alive again. He was lost, and now it's found. I want you to think of this parable in light of Jesus' message, in light of the book of Jonah. Because they go in and they begin to celebrate. And who's outside? The older brother. The religious one. The one who never left. The one who never did anything wrong. And he comes walking back toward the house. And he says to one of the servants, what's going on? What's all that music, celebration? And the servant says, your brother's come home. He's come back. The father, he's killed the fatted calf, and they're celebrating because your, father, your, your brother, who was once dead, is now alive. There's a celebration. And what does the brother do? stays outside. He refuses to enter into the joy of his father. And what does the father do? The father leaves the party and goes, gets him. God got Nineveh and brought them to himself. And God got Jonah and brought him to both the wicked and the religious. The father runs to him and says, no, 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 come to me. He goes and gets him. It says in verse 28, the older brother, he was angry and refused to go in. But his father came out and entreated him. And he said, look, all that I have is yours. In many years I've served you. I've not disobeyed your command. That's what the older brother says. Yet you never gave me a goat or anything to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this wicked, lying, running, and cheating, and squandering brother of yours comes home, you celebrate. The father says it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. At the end of the book of Jonah, Jonah wallowed over self-pity when God showed mercy to Nineveh. Jesus today he wants to show himself as the loving father who runs to you. Whether you grew up in church and feel like you've never obeyed his command or never committed a sin or never disobeyed him, you need his grace. Or if you feel like the rebel son who's just squandered and ran every time, today you need his grace. The father runs to the younger son even before he asked for forgiveness. Even before he could say, I'm sorry, he ran to him. Jesus is the truer and better Jonah. Matthew 12, 41, it says something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the greater thing. There is grace, there is love, and there is fullness that God intended for you. 
Jesus is the missing piece you're searching for. Jesus is the joy that you're longing for. Jesus is the hope that you truly desire for you and the next generation. Jesus is the greater purpose in life. How much of your life has been struggling out of the waters of grace that God intended you to live? How long have you been searching? You first sought fulfillment from your parents, and then you realized that didn't fill you up, so then you sought fulfillment from your friends. That didn't work, and so you fought, sought fulfillment from maybe someone else, or maybe a closer relationship, maybe someone intimate with me. Maybe that will solve my issue. And, and then maybe it's marriage, and then you sought fulfillment in kids, and then you sought fulfillment in money, but it was, it was not there, and it's not in those things. The fulfillment that your soul craved is in the steadfast, never-changing, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love of God. I got that line from the Jesus Storybook Bible I read to my kids. The fulfillment of your soul is found in Jesus. And some of you say, man, I can't believe this. I've gone too far. I've never, never measure up. Listen, Nineveh was idolatrous. They were murderous. They were haters. They were killers. God showed them grace. God's pursuit of Nineveh is proof that his grace can stretch even to you. God's ability to clean things up is infinitely greater than our ability to mess things up. And he loves you. Today, I pray that God will restore the joy of your salvation. And I want to remind you that something greater than Jonah is here. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his boys around. After he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body that is broken for you. He says, take and eat of the bread and do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do it in remembrance of me. Let us today remember the joy of our salvation that was purchased through the body and the blood of Christ. Today, let us think about the eternal purchase that Jesus made through his body and through his blood. Today, let us remember that Jesus paid it all for us. Today, let us remember that Jesus is greater than condemnation. He's greater because he sealed our salvation with his blood. Let's pray. Jesus, today, we give you thanks and remembrance that it's by your body and by your blood that we can walk in salvation. Jesus, I pray for myself and for everyone here, Lord, that if we've been so consumed with the things of this world, that we have forgot, Lord, what it means to have our salvation restored and be the most joyful thing. Jesus, today, we want to remember you, that you're greater than all things, that you're greater than all temporary joys, that you're greater than all temporary sufferings, that you're greater than Jonah, that your message is greater, that your love is greater, that your salvation is greater, that, that in you there's no condemnation. Today as we approach this table, today as we approach it with our eyes fixed on the throne, May we remember that you are the good and better message, that you are the good and better Savior than religion or anything we can bring. Jesus, today, I need you.
I want you. And I remember you. And we love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.